0: We upload a new speaker every day and it's easy to subscribe by searching for NAPOD, N-A-P-O-D, all one word, on any podcast player app or go to NAPOD.xyz if you'd like to listen online. Hope you enjoy the podcast and have a great day.
1: Um. It's about 10 minutes after 4. We're going to try to keep this meeting to an hour, so we'll be done by 5 o'clock, about 10 minutes or so per speaker, and um, that's it.
2: It's all yours. <laughs> uh, I don't really need this. I can be heard anywhere. <laughs> My name is Pat, and I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. My sobriety date is November nineteenth, 1967. Don't strain your head, honey. It's 39, almost 40 years.
3: <laughs>
2: I was a baby when I got here. A baby.
3: Um,
2: I can't believe that either. I mean, there are times when people say to me, gee, you're coming up on 40 years. And I say, well, it's just another day. But between you and I, not so much, No. It's, it's really quite incredible that I'm sober this long. Uh, and for the ladies who didn't come here, you can tell them I told you a secret. How to get to be an old-timer. You don't drink, and you don't die. Okay? Tell you another secret about old-timers. An old-timer won't go around the corner to hear you speak. he will have traveled 30 miles to speak himself. That's an old-timer. You know, It doesn't matter what I drank, it doesn't matter how long I drank, it doesn't matter with who I drank, it doesn't matter where I drank. What matters is that every time I drank, I got mostly in trouble. And what matters is when I came here at 26, I was desperate as only the dying can be. You know, the old timers when I came here uh, were mostly old men in raincoats, and uh, they would say to me, honey, I spilled more than you drank. Well, maybe so, but it's been almost 40 years, and every time I take a blood test, I still have a liver insufficiency, so I don't know how much they spilled, but I drank a lot. See, when I was out there, I was tough, you know, uh, independent, uh, ball buster, victim. Now, if you can identify with that, you're an alcoholic, Okay. I was tough, and I was hard, and I didn't need anybody, and I was afraid of all of you. I couldn't go from one day to the next without an enabler, something, a crutch, if you will. And my crutch was alcohol. Uh, alcohol to me was great because it was available everywhere. You went to somebody's house, they'd say, would you like a drink? What they didn't realize is I wanted the bottle, you know. <laughs> one drink just wasn't going to do it, but... You know, you could always have a drink. I've never gone anywhere when someone says to me, would you like a snort? <laughs> would you like to do a line? Here's a needle you want to shoot up. No, no, nobody's ever asked me that. But almost everywhere I go, people say, would you like a drink? You know. So it was socially acceptable. The way I drank was not socially acceptable. But drinking was socially acceptable. I came here because I had tried to control my drinking. And for any of you that know what that's like, it's pure hell for an alcoholic. And most people who don't have a problem with alcohol don't try to control it. But I wasn't ready to face that. And I came here sick, and I came here really feeling like I... I took the first shower I had taken in two weeks to come to my first AA meeting. Okay? I, lo- I really felt like I crawled out from underneath a rock somewhere. And if you had drank the way I drank, it's not, you know, it's not unusual... Um I was a female bar drinker, and that doesn't leave much to the imagination. Uh, you can go with wherever you want to go with it, and I certainly went wherever I had to go with it. <laughs> I didn't go where I wanted to go. There were a lot of times I wound up in places with people and in places I shouldn't have been. And I'm lucky that I'm standing up here alive. I should be dead. And the truth is, I've been beaten and left for dead twice. So I was very lucky that I that I really... And the only thing that bothered me that morning when I woke up in the garbage cans, and in my day garbage cans were metal, they weren't plastic, uh, I woke up in the garbage cans, the only thing that bothered me was the damn birds woke me up. You know, the birds were singing and they woke me up and I was very ticked off because I was just about getting into my good sleep at that point with both knees out of my stockings and my elbow... And my jaw dislocated and I had to tell my mother that I was in an automobile accident because there was no way I was going to tell her what really happened. That was one day I should have said yes instead of saying no, but I didn't realize that. If you're not a bar drinker, you don't know what I just said to you, but that's okay. Uh, I got here and mostly there were older people and they all called me the kid and I hated it. Uh, I got here and I didn't know what I was going to do. And AA, and God in AA gave me a gift. And I know you'd like to hear me say sobriety, but that's not really true. What they gave me here when I came in the door was a choice. I did not know that I could choose to drink. I did not know that. I really thought if you had my life, and you had my childhood, and you had my background, that you would drink too. Like I said, I was a bully and a victim all at the same time. I held people for ransom. You know, They were talking about that this morning. I I held people for ransom. I used sex as a a means, as a weapon, and I used it brutally. So my first year, I came here in the first meeting I went to. You guys said to me, I couldn't drink anymore. Now, you didn't really say that. You said I shouldn't pick up the first drink. That's what you said. What I heard was, you can't drink anymore. That's what I heard. So the very next day I woke up, I wanted to drink the first thing in the morning. Now, up until now, I have never had a morning drink. That's waiting for me if I go out. I didn't find out until I got here that it works. I could never get it past my nose in the morning. Uh, So I never had a morning drink. But I would get up at 7 to go to work, and I wanted to drink at 7. I wanted to drink at 7.30. I wanted to drink at 8 o'clock. I wanted to drink at 9 o'clock. And it went on all day long. I wanted to drink all day. And I wanted to drink every day. My whole first year, as my sponsor calls it, was bloody. (coughs) It was ugly and it was bloody. I wanted to drink every minute of every day for my first year. I didn't get relieved of anything. It got worse. And that was what I told myself. If it gets bad enough, I'm going to drink. That's all he was doing. It. It's got to get bad enough, though. And luckily for me, for some reason or another, it just didn't get bad enough. I said to my sponsor, I can't hang on anymore. And she said, tie a knot in the rope. And I said, okay, fine. And I tied a knot in the rope. And I hung on a little longer. And I said, I can't hang on anymore. And she said, when your nails fall off, call me. And it was, t- it was really hard. As a matter of fact, uh, I spoke to her last year at my anniversary. And she said, of all the pigeons I ever... Sp- oh, by the way... The term pigeon. If it upsets you, the door is right there. They <laughs> called me a pigeon, and uh, and I will, if I have five minutes, tell you the pigeon story for you who don't know it. Uh, she said to me, of all the pigeons she ever had, she never thought I'd make it. And I'm the only one that stayed sober this long. So, it, you know, you can sit here and say, I don't have the right attitude, and I want to drink all the time. Yeah, of course you want to drink all the time. You know, you're an alcoholic. This is what I do. I drink. When I'm happy, I drink. When I'm sad, I drink. When I'm hungry, I drink. When I'm full, I drink. I drink. That's what I do. I drink. Uh, and anything that doesn't have anything to do with drinking, I don't want to go anywhere near it. You know, that's that was part of my life. Didn't trust people who didn't drink. I'd be somewhere and someone would say, "I'll have a ginger ale." And I'd move a little far away from that a gentle rail. What are you afraid of? You know uh, I did not trust people. Now I'm going to give you my pigeon story, and then I'm going to sit down. Uh, the per- term "pigeon" came from the best friend we alcoholics ever had. The term "pigeon" came from a woman named Lois Wilson. OK If you guys don't know who Lois was, see me after the meeting. Uh, They had a house in on Clinton Street in Brooklyn and Lois was the only one in the house that was working Lois was a saint You can tell she wasn't one of us Okay She was the only one in the house with a job and she would come home And there'd be bill and whatever drunks he was trying to help that day and Lois would come home and she would cook for all these people and uh, She came through and there were four or five guys sitting out on the stoop now in New York If you if you're not in New Yorker, you don't know quite what a stoop is Okay. A stoop for us New Yorkers is what you guys call call brass. All right. And in New York, pigeons are the only wildlife we have. (laughs) So she came home and on the stoop were these three or four guys waiting for Bill. And she went in the house and said to him, your pigeons are waiting for you. Okay. So pigeons, and the term stuck because... We as sponsors bring you in as a pigeon, and our job is to teach you to fly. Okay? The other thing is in World War I, pigeons saved lives. They were used as carrier pigeons to carry messages from one troop to another, from one battalion to another. Pigeons saved lives. I don't know how many sponsors flew along the lines in the First World War. But I know that pigeons did, and pigeons carry messages that save lives. And our job as a sponsor is to teach you guys how to fly. Okay, Sponsy was coined in some by some nameless, faceless guy who works in a rehab. And if you guys have been through rehab and you're new in AA and you think, "Well, I went through my first, second, third, fourth, and fifth step," mm-hmm. let me say to you, welcome to AA. All right? That was rehab. This is AA.
3: Yeah,
2: we're in trouble here. We are in trouble. But it isn't the newcomer who comes in here dual addicted. It's not them that's causing our problems. It's us old timers. Us. Because who's supposed to keep this program pure? The newcomer? No. Us. When I came in here, old-timers were not gutless wonders like I am. And I take the blame for this. The new, the old-timers, when I came in, called themselves recovered alcoholics. Not cured, recovered. Now we're into recovering and whatever the hell. The old-timers said recovered. They were recovered from alcoholism one day at a time, by the grace of God. Uh, the old-timers in AA, when I came in, were ready to carry the banner of traditions. They were ready. You know, I sit in meetings sometimes an hour and now when people come in. Somebody comes in with a half a load on and everybody in the room goes, oh, get them out of here, they're ruining my meeting. Yeah. Ladies, we are in the drunk business here. If we're asking them to leave our meetings, we should close our bloody meetings. Because that's not what we're here for. The only thing I know how to do is stay sober one day at a time. The only thing I can do is help you with your alcoholism problem. I don't know about your husband. I may be married 43 years and everybody wants to know how I did it. But I tell them everything the same thing. Then i to go talk to my husband. I have no idea how this happened. 43 years. I have no, no clue. He's the one that worked the marriage, not me. Okay? But I do know how to stay sober 40 years. If you want to know how to stay 40 years sober, you come and talk to me. If you're going to go to a therapist in a rehab, he ain't going to give you that message. Because he doesn't know how. He has a book. That's what he's got. I've got a big book. And that's what I have to stay with, the big book. The newcomers have not ruined this program. Those of us who are old-timers, that the old-timers passed the baton to us, we dropped it. Because somewhere along the line, we went to the Spock School of A.A., Give them a pat on the back, a pat on the gas, and send them on their merry way. Folks, we are loving people to death. It's time we stood up and said, this is AA, this is our traditions, this is our program, this is our big book. Uh, First time a girl asked me to sponsor her, I have one question. Do you mind the term pigeon? And if she says to me, I'd rather be called sponsee, I say to her, wonderful go find someone who will do that for you. I won't. We're not going to communicate at all. The second thing I tell them is, don't lie to me. We're building a relationship of trust here, and if you lie to me, I can't trust you. I'll allow you to tell me you don't want to talk about it, and I won't push you. But don't lie to me. Because what you're doing is you're letting go of your lifeline. Those of us who have been here more than... 10, 15 years. We've already. I've lost both parents. I've lost a child. I've lost dogs. I've lost cats. I've had grandchildren. I've had children. Um, All of these things have happened to me, and I have not had to pick up a drink because of you guys. Because of what's in the book. It's not magic. It's what's in the book, and it's you people here that stay sober. And the people who were here before I was. The ones who told me, take the cotton out of your ears, put it in your mouth, sit down and shut up. People who learned and knew how to conduct a meeting. Guys, when you're sitting up in the front of the room and you're leading a meeting, you're not just there to listen to somebody drone on for 15 minutes who's just come into the program. You're the leader of the meeting. You're supposed to pass it on to someone who's got something to share. They told me, You have nothing to tell us. The only thing you know how to do is get drunk. You want to know how to get sober? You gotta listen to the people who know how. You know, you need to talk, you need to share, that's wonderful. That's what after the meeting is for. That's what after the meeting is for. Don't get here as the meeting starts and run out the door when the meeting is over. And then take 15 minutes to sit here and whatever. I'm getting on a thing and I think it's time for me to sit down. But <laughs> ladies, we, we have a responsibility I am responsible. I am responsible. Whenever anybody anywhere reaches out their hand for help, I am responsible. And in order to do that, this program has to be here. And it has to be here in its purest form. Okay? It has to be. So when people say keep coming back, it works if you work, it does work it, you're worth it. I just stand there and let them shake my arms. Because what follows the word Amen? I'm talking to a higher power. And I'm saying Amen. I have to follow that with something cutesy? No. My God has heard me. And Amen is all it needs. Sorry. And if I sound like I'm lecturing, I am. So I'm shutting up.
4: I'm
3: an alcoholic. Yeah. Can you hear me? Okay.
4: I'm reminded I'm an alcoholic. And I'll say amen. And I think I can go shut up because how am I going to follow that? the
3: <laughs>
4: sobriety date is... Um, March the
3: 31st, 1970.
4: And Orla Vista is my home group. Well, I started drinking at a pretty early age. My story pretty much follows path. I like to drink in bars. No closet stuff for me.
3: <laughs> I
4: shut down bars when everybody else was gone, unless I passed out first. I don't think I passed out often in bars. It was right after I left. I closed these places up. And um, one of my greatest pleasures was sitting at the bar and drinking more than the mean, if they paid for it. <laughs> I did not waste money on booze, ever. All you needed was enough for one drink. Somebody else would take care of the bill. And some of it was actually fun for a while. I did not like women. Couldn't trust them. And I didn't like them when I come to the meeting either. And you wouldn't have caught me dead here. No way. What I didn't know was that you could see right through me. I couldn't lie to you. Just before I got to AA, I had something that happened to me. I had a spinal surgery. And God took the desire to drink away from me. And I know a lot of you've heard this story before. I've told it enough times that I thought that I was healed, and I was in the sense I never picked up another drink. But our minds don't work like that. I didn't drink at all for a while, and I, I went. My husband's in the military. And I went to a party one night. I didn't have anything to drink. It was almost over. And that was the one time I really did have two. You know, we never have more than two.
3: (laughs) But I had two
4: drinks and went home and remembered everything and nothing happened. I mailed.
3: (laughs) Um,
4: We went to Anchorage, Alaska. We drove up the Alcan. Just before we got into Anchorage, it was my birthday, and I had a beer. Only one. I am here. I don't know how long it lasted, but it was short term. (laughs) (laughs) I got drunk. And I didn't want to go back to where I was. I really didn't. But I didn't know how not to. I remember going to a luncheon at the club, they passed those nice little drinks around, and I had one, and they came around again, and I had a second one, and the lady looked at me and said, you can never have just one, and I thought, oh my God, she knows who I am. (laughs) So I I started actually going to a little Bible study on base. And about the third meeting, the lady that was doing the meeting said, uh, next week when you come back, we're all going to take our mask off and we're going to be just who we are. And I thought she meant it. And she got to me, I said, I'm an alcoholic. And um, a lady across the table, shook my hand, said, hello, partner. I'll talk to you after the meeting. She took me to my first meeting. Now, the reason I went to the first AA meeting, I was going to get my husband sober. I didn't have a problem. I hadn't (laughs) drunk that day. I also was at that time taking some medication for my back. I'd had a relapse, and I was having spasms, and I was afraid to drink, besides I didn't really need to drink, that was, <laughs> that was okay. So I got there, and unlike you people, I did not come home. Locked into that meeting, and everybody was in blue pajamas, it was in the hospital, the Air Force Base bunch of grumpy old sergeants, a few officers, and they told me that I had to find a God and I knew they needed one.
3: <laughs>
4: they cussed like sailors and smoked like fiends. <laughs> I was sure I'd failed my missionary field, straightening these people out. I say that, it's not funny. I mean, I believed it. I, I, I believe them, But I did realize one thing. It was some place to go. In those days, there weren't many places to go in Anchorage. I couldn't go to the, to the club because I never knew what I'd do. I had to be watched and supervised. <laughs> and not only that, I was afraid that from the club to the house, I might black out and it was very cold, Then I could freeze the death, and I blacked out often. So, you know, then during that time, if I drank anything, it was, it was at home. I was just afraid to go out. But I began to realize one thing. Those men had quit drinking, and they were not picking up. I could quit drinking. I just couldn't stay quit. And I had drank for years. I did not drink before 5 o'clock. Alcoholics drank before 5 o'clock. And I didn't know the doctors knew I drank. I went to the infirmary often. And they gave me Librium and Valium. So until 5 (laughs) o'clock... And one of the other reasons I couldn't drink before five o'clock is my house was always stocked with boots. But if I was drank in the afternoon, you see, I would have been out, there would have been no supper, and my supply would have been gone. So I had to make sure that their supper was ready when my husband got home, and then I could pop a beer. When he did, and they always thought that I got drunk on two beers.
3: <laughs> <laughs> My kids
4: would say, "Mom, you don't drink. You can't drink." What they didn't know is I had a glass of scotch sitting in the cabinet. I'd have a sip of beer when they were
5: <laughs>
4: <laughs> Anyway, I looked at the steps: one, two, and three. I have been well-churched. I've done most. And I believe that, too. I can't... Well, I do know why I didn't drink. It was by the grace of God. But I can promise you one thing. You may come in, and you may not work the steps, and you may listen, and you quite possibly may not drink. But if you don't work the steps the day that something will come that will take you down. And you will work the steps then or you will drink. My husband quit drinking by the grace of God after 11 months of sobriety. I don't know how he done this. He drank more than I did, but he didn't drink crazy like I did. He didn't go to other cities and he didn't call everybody on the telephone he ever knew and, you know, all this stuff. (laughs) he poured it out and he quit at least for three years and uh, I thought life was really wonderful because you see it was so much better than it was people would tell me I was in pain not me because it was much better than it was when I was sober three years he drank again at the same time my youngest daughter started doing drugs and did them for the next 30 years And for that length of time, I moved heaven and hell and everything in between to try to get her to stop. If you don't hear anything else and you're a young mother, hear this. Work on yourself and quit trying to take care of your kids. Because if you get better, they'll get better. And everything you tell them will go out the window and they won't hear it anyway. Work on yourself. I had a lot of years in there and a lot of good years. I had a lot of sponsors, and I went on a lot of calls. And I don't know if they got sober or not, but you see, I stayed sober. You couldn't call me at the wrong time of day. You couldn't be too bad and... You know, you gotta be addicted to something that's as good as anything. It worked to keep me sober. Um four years ago little better than four years. Four years ago, I buried my husband. I was able to take care of him, bring him home, and the good news was when he quit drinking The doctors told him he'd die in five years anyway from cirrhosis of the liver. He lived another 30 years and he died of cirrhosis of the liver and bled to death. But he got 30 years and he died sober. Thank God for that. And the night that he, before he died, my great grandson, who's the joy of my life, father was murdered, and he saw it happen. So we had the two funerals in one week, and I had to bring them home with me. Well, I didn't have to, but I didn't have anywhere else to go. And on the way home from the funeral, we got hit by a truck. (laughs) Last week, I still was picking glass out of my car, believe it or not from where it shattered so much glass. that I didn't get hurt, and I didn't have to drink. A year and four months ago, they fished my daughter out of a lake a mile from my house. And the only way we could... Identifier was by the tattoos. That was the only thing that wasn't destroyed. They were never able to find out where she was murdered, how she was murdered. No answers except she was in the lake. That you people were there for me. I went to Lake Hill that weekend, and God was good, and I didn't have to drink. That was my baby. You're not supposed to have to bury your baby. And I don't tell you that because I want you to feel sorry for me. I want you to know you can walk through anything and not drink. But I also want to tell you the danger spot. That's when you get all the bills paid, and you get a new car and you get some clothes and some jewelry and things are going good. That's your danger spot. Not when you're afraid you'll drink. That's not it. The people that I see go back out. It's when things get good and they just don't seem to know what to do with it. Why it didn't happen to me? God chose not to. God chose not to. You know, when my husband died, I want you to know that I didn't know how to pump gas. I hadn't paid a bill since the last time he went overseas, and that would have been a while. I didn't know what my electric bill was. I had not run a sweeper for three years at least. And I had it all. But I'm one of them stubborn, independent women yet, not just when I drank. And I learned how to pump gas, and I learned how to do whatever I needed to do. And I've now lived by myself for over two years. I had never been by myself and I couldn't stand myself by myself. And I didn't really want to in the beginning. And I have a soft small voice say to me, You tell your girls. If they trust God, they can walk through anything. So now what are you going to do? (laughs) So I stayed by myself. And I'm so glad I did. Because the last two years, no, the last year and four months, I have found the peace I never knew. And those of you that know me know that. It's because I kept going to meetings. I kept doing the work. When I don't want to, it, it just works. If you're here and you've got 24 hours of sobriety, hang on to it. There is nothing out there worth losing it for. And don't tell me that you just picked up a drink one day and didn't know. It starts way before here. Here. It happens in the mind first. So if you read the big book, and I'm totally convinced it's another version of the big, big book, it will change your life completely. And you will have dreams come true that you never dreamed of. Thank you.
5: my turn. My name is Les Lindenwood and I am an alcoholic. Amen. My sobriety date, I feel like a baby after them two guys. Because <laughs> my sobriety date is, um... let me see. <laughs> In 1975,
3: August the 1st, I
5: do remember that, August the 1st. Oh, old people in that
3: <laughs>
5: I wish I had some words of wisdom to, to tell you. But, you know, I was mad the last time. I've been mad three times. And all my husbands are dead. <laughs> i kill 'em pretty quick. <laughs> Old the in AA scared me.
3: <laughs>
5: no, my first husband, he, he was, I was 39 when he passed away, the father of my two children. That was in 1944, and I became an alcoholic that day. And I bought two fists of liquor at the time, and I drank them at the house, in the closet, in the bed, it didn't matter where it was, but I drank to get drunk, and I'm going to skip over because I know we're running for time, but uh, when I came in AA in 75, there wasn't any women in AA, nobody but old, wore-out men,
3: (laughs) And I was looking
5: for a man. I had been sober for a while. No,
3: what did I say? (laughs) I hadn't been sober. (laughs) I'd been
5: drinking, but I was looking for a man. A sober man, I reckon, because I come to (laughs) age. I was married. My last husband died in 1998. He was the Arkansas traveler, Charles Lindenwood. And that's the reason I don't get up and say nothing, because <laughs> he did all the talking. He used to say, Liz, if you would go with me on all these trips, uh, you could talk, and then I could talk. And I'd say, okay. But then I didn't talk, but I got to go anyway. I made the trip anyhow, because they was willing to take me along, you know, for company But, um, I was married the second time. Let me see, I better tell how I, Oh, I don't know how I got sober. I just made up my mind to get sober. <laughs> but I didn't go out with any men.
3: That's the reason I didn't get married. <laughs> I just stayed home
5: and drank liquor and just had a good time by myself, mostly. And if I ever went anywhere to see where a man was, I was always so drunk. I didn't care nothing about him or me or nobody else.
3: <laughs>
5: but anyway, I had drank so much till I didn't remember nothing there for a few days. My daughter would get so mad with me, I worked, she worked, and I lived with her. And when I'd come in, I'd forget to come home. But I'd go to this, one of these girls' houses, and we would drink, and I'd call her. After I'd had one drink, and I'd say, Joy, I'm gonna spend the night with Ruth tonight. She says, I know it, mama, you drunk already. I said, no, I hadn't had but one beer. And I wouldn't come home for about three days. And when I come home, I smelled so bad so she would make me take off my clothes out on the porch
3: (laughs) and throw them in
5: the trash can. (laughs) But one of these days, I decided to go to AA. This is when I come to AA myself. I said, I was staying drunk. I had to do something. And I was looking for a man then. After ten years, you know, I kind of wanted me one. And I walked in AA. God, there wasn't nothing in there but these old
3: men. And they
5: was all wore
3: out. I said, I don't
5: want nothing, (laughs) you
3: know. And the women in the
5: Al-Anon group, they were, They didn't like me at all. They wasn't none of them speak to me.
3: And I never could understand that.
5: But they all thought I wanted their hood.
3: That's what they thought,
5: but I sure didn't want them.
3: Anyway, after
5: a while, uh, one of those men that, that was right, nice-looking, his wife died,
3: so I said, <laughs>
5: and he, would been a, he had been sober a long time. And I said, Lord, I need him.
3: <laughs> and he was, he
5: was um, GSR and ABC and everything else that I He he
3: he was that.
5: So he was nice looking, a tall fellow. But we were married just a year. We got along real good, and I really did like him. I don't think I know what love is, but that kind. And uh, he didn't live but a year before we found out he had cancer of the throat. And he didn't live but two more years, and he passed away. And uh, I stayed on in A.A., and, uh, oh, I want to tell you this, though. <laughs> About to forget the man <laughs> How I met Charles. Uh, my husband had met him before. And he just loved that man, old Charlie. He said, I'm going to have him to talk for my birthday party. I said, All right. So he came. He spent the night at my house. He talked for his anniversary, and we still, when when Pete was in the hospital in Gainesville, he went to see him, and you know, all. so I got to knowing him real well, but I waited a year. Somebody told me, after they passed away, he supposed to wait a year. <laughs> I
3: think he'd been dead
5: just about a year. Charles had called me, and I said, No, I'm supposed to wait a year before we have anything to do with each other. And I came by his house in Winter Garden, and, uh, of course, I come after him. (laughs) That's the only way I'd go with any man. And uh, I was on my way to the Yucatan Territory with my late husband's, son and his wife. So naturally we went there and I had to come back by to see him again. (laughs) And then of course he had to go to Douglas to see me and I had to come back to see him. And so we got married. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see, I think that's about all
3: I think i another. Okay. <laughs> you can see my hair ain't
1: gray. I'm a real alcoholic, and my name is Catherine Hill. And my sobriety date is April 4th, 1981. And I am the baby. This is a tremendous amount of wisdom. And I am just, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in awe of it. And I don't know that I can really add anything to it. And I don't have much time anyway, so I, but I can talk fast. Um, uh, how it was and what happened and how it is now, it was really bad. And it got a whole lot worse. A whole lot worse. And I know that you all know what I'm talking about. Um, I, I went places with alcohol that I never want to go back to. Um, and I went there with people that I never intended to go there with, and and uh, uh, woke up in places that I didn't know where they were and where I what I'd done. And when people say I, I I blacked out, I always blacked out. Always, whenever I drank, I had a blackout. Um, and I never had one drink, and I just, you know, yeah, one drink, what is that? And I used to tell people that was a joke, and then I'd, then I'd think, well, yeah, I had one drink, if you count, that I was using the same glass all night long, and, <laughs> you know, and I, but I never had a drink. That was, you know, I always they drank for one purpose, and that purpose was to make these voices up here shut up. And um, I remember watching Ted on a Hot Tin Roof, and that guy saying something about he drank until he heard the click, and that's what I drank for. I could hear that click, and they would stop, Um, because I didn't like them, and the other reason I drank was because the world sucked, and I didn't want to be in it, Um, and when it got really, really bad, uh, you know, people talk about that you come to that place where you know that you can't drink, but you know that you can't not drink, and then you're screwed, and that's where I was. And the other option of course was to kill myself and 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 I was too afraid to do that because I was going to that place where bad people went because I'd done bad things and and uh and so I was sitting in my little stinky trailer in in Miami and I said god help I don't want to die and and uh, but I didn't really want to live either And uh, the notion came to me that if I called Alcoholics Anonymous, they might be able to help me because I knew that's where you went when you didn't want to drink anymore. And, of course, I really still wanted to drink, but I didn't want to live the way I was living, and I didn't want to feel this way. So I called AA, and they offered me a meeting that night, and I said, no, I have to go to work because I had to go to work. I worked in a bar. (laughs) And I knew that when I went to Alcoholics Anonymous, I would never be able to drink again, and I knew that would be just a horrible thing. And so I thought if I went to work that night, I could get really, really drunk one last time uh, but it didn't work and that was the only time in my entire drinking career when I really wanted to get drunk and I couldn't it was awful I just kept pouring it in and I was stone ass sober excuse me if I can't ask <laughs> and I went to my meeting the next day and all those old men that she was talking about were there it was in Little River in Miami and, they were, and there was actually a guy downstairs from where the meeting was in a raincoat um, and I knew that's what it was going to be I knew that it would be all old men that didn't have a clue about what life was about. So I went upstairs, and there were a few guys like that there. But there was also a woman there named Marilyn, and she bought me a big book and gave it to me and said, these are going to be the best days of your life. And I looked at her like she was insane, but that's all right, <laughs> because she was right. Um, and what is it like now? I got to tell you something. I really love what you said, Pat. I, you know, I go to so many meetings and I hear all this controversy about drugs and alcohol and what, and and I love what you said because alcohol is a drug indeed because I heard somebody say, I don't care whether you drink it or smoke it or shove it up your backside, it's a drug. But alcohol is a legal drug that I can get just about anywhere and uh, I didn't have to go on street corners and, and talk to shady people and all that nasty stuff that you had to do when you did those drug things. And I didn't have to go to a doctor and get a prescription. So it was an easy out for me. And I am the person looking for the easier, softer way. And I have been all my life. And it seemed like alcohol was. It was a very good solution to all my problems for a very long time. Until I came to Alcoholics Anonymous and they told me that this is the solution. And I had a sponsor that also used to say, uh, the way you get to be an old-timer is you don't drink and you don't die. And that really is how you get to be an old-timer. Um And the way you get sober is you don't drink, you don't die, and you work the steps. And I didn't want to do that stuff because I wasn't looking at me and that was like, whoa, no thank you. I don't really, I don't if I really liked me when I'd be here. And, uh, <laughs> hello. Uh, and so I didn't for a long time and I used to sit in meetings and hear people talking about the answers and the steps and I'd be like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, and I got to a spot where The solution once again was drink or die. Because I was so miserable, and I heard people talking about emotional bottoms, whatever that meant. But I remember laying in a bathtub, looking up at God, and saying, God was in my bathroom, obviously, (laughs) saying, if this is all there is, what is the point? Um, And I went into therapy for a while, because I figured, you know, a therapist would be able to help me out with that stuff. and uh, then I went to my sponsor, and she said, maybe you ought to consider working the steps. Well, I've been sober about three and a half years by this point. Oh, I'm not going to hurry because I do not much time. And I really do need to sort of mention that I am also married to someone in the program, and we've been married for a while, and I met him when I was sober uh, seven days. Um, so, of course, I was working on that relationship. I didn't have time to work on the steps or me. After I did... Seriously, try. And, and I tell that to my, the people that I sponsor. I'm going to start calling them pigeons. I love that. I tell that to people that I sponsor that are new in the program. All you can do is try. Because I do not have a Ph.D. in the steps. And I know that there are some people that think they do. You can hear them. Most of them are men.
3: <laughs> but I don't have a
1: Ph.D. in the steps. I only know what I know and what I've read in the book and what my interpretation of it is. And so we can just kind of stumble through this together. you know. That's what you got to do. Um, but you got to do it. And, and when it says, uh, oh God, I know that was Dr. Bobby. I'm so glad I came to this meeting. and learned cool stuff. Um, uh, trust God. Clean house. That's all you have to do. It's on page 98. If you don't believe me, it's, on the, it's in the middle paragraph on page 98. Okay? In the middle of the page. That's all you have to do is trust God and clean house. Forget all that help other stuff. But let me tell you something. If you trust God, like I trust God, and you clean house like I cleaned house, you will want to help others. You will not be able to help yourself, but you will be going out there and saying, hey, let me explain. Um, I, I go to a meeting on Friday night to the jail, and I know that what we are bringing to those women is hope. And that is what we're bringing to them. And it is a blessing and a gift that I'm allowed to go. I don't consider it. You know, something I have to do. It is a blessing, and I would go every Friday if they would let me. And that service work, and I know that, and I went to mental institutions. I worked in a mental institution for a long time, but we won't go there. But after I got sober and I did the steps and I really was. Then that, all of a sudden it was like, wow, then I'm going to go out and do this stuff. And, and it wasn't that first, you know, when you first get sober and you're going to save the world. And I mean, everybody's a drunk. And, and I was, I'm going to shut up in about one minute. I was still working in the bar. And we were talking about this at lunch. And yeah, it was a barmaid, bar Isn't that lovely? And, and I know that if I hadn't quit my job, because I called my sponsor one night and I said, listen, that bottle of doers just told me to have a drink. And she said, I think you need to quit your job, you know. But they told me not to make any major changes the first year. Forget that I'd already met my husband. So, if I hadn't quit my job, they probably would have fired me because I was probably going to be one of those, you need to go to AA. I'm not serving you anymore, alcohol. So, all I can tell you is if you're new in the program, hang on because you are in for the ride of your life. And there is nothing like this way of life, nothing. I I just, you know, if you want what we have, hang tight, ladies. Thank you.